Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I'm Brian. With me as always are Zach and Vince. We're going to get into our limited slate of Rebirth titles in just a minute. But first I have a game, boys. We've played a version of this game before. But uh, I went more in depth this time. So let's see what do I have here. I have I have 14 titles in front of me. I'm going to give you the title of a New 52 book. And you're going to tell me how many issues it lasted. You guys okay. ready? Yes. Yes. I like this game. I know you do. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll just go in the order in which I have them here. Uh, Superboy. Oh, by the way, I am not counting zero issues or annuals. 34. This, this is just the last published issue. 34. 36. Uh, Zach has it with 34. Damn. Exactly. Right on the money. It's good. No wonder he loves this game. Exactly. Uh, threshold. Eight. That was like eight. Uh, both of you correct. Eight. Uh, okay. I'm going to save these two for the end. Um, Sinestro. Ooh. 18. 23. 23. Zach got it. Jesus. <laughs> uh, the Savage Hawkman. We've done this one before. Yeah, but there's no way you remember it. Um, 30... Hold on, let me let me think about it. You, you say yours, Vince. 32. I'm going to say... I'm going to say 22. Uh, it's 20. Okay. So Zach takes that one as well. All right. Well, um, I don't know. It's like, is it, what did Vince say? He said 30. 30. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying if you're within three, I'm giving it to you. That's how we're scoring this. Uh, so so far we have uh, Zach with four, Vince with one, because um, they both got one. All right, the first volume of New Fifty Two Deathstroke. Seventeen. Nineteen. Uh, Vince takes that. It was twenty. Second volume of New Fifty Two Deathstroke. That was only like thirteen. I'm gonna say eighteen. Twenty. Zach takes it. They All were right. both twenty. Yes. Huh. Uh, Green Lantern, New Guardians. Twenty. No, that's wrong. No, it's like this. Yeah, it's, it's like it's one like of those uh, high ones. Thirty-eight. No, forty. 40 it is. <laughs> Zach, you're a killer. Uh, Red Lanterns. 40. Yeah, 40. Correct, both of you guys. Yeah, those were like, those were all the suits. Yeah. There's a yeah. bunch of like key numbers. Yes, yes, yes. there are. Um, the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Oh, man. That was, that was only like... That was 20. 20... Oh, wait, no. I like how hard Zach tries at this game. <laughs> I really like this game. Um, Vince uh, 20. What the, what the heck, 18. Uh, Vince got it on the nose, 20. Okay. Uh, Captain Adam. Ooh, 12. Um, 8. 12. Damn. Uh, Batman the Dark Knight. Not the new, pre-New 52. Right. right. 40. 
20... Three. Uh, neither of you are close enough to, to take it. The first one, neither of you have been within three or four. It was 29. Okay. Uh, down to the last three here. Animal Man? 28. 30. Uh, shit, hold on. Oh, yeah, you're right. It was... 38. 38. Zach, was yours? Hold on, let me think. I said 28 first, and I know that's yeah. wrong. So that can be my first answer, but I think it was actually... Um... Well, decide, is that your answer or not? Actually, no. Actually, I think it's 29. <laughs> it was 29. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zach gets it either way. God damn it. All right, last two. Suicide Squad. Oh jeez. Uh the the first, first volume. Uh, yeah, first uh, and that new Suicide Squad. Uh, the only volume called Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um 20 no. 34. Uh Thirty. Thirty eggs on the nose. <laughs> How do you know this? <laughs> and last but not least, sure, but uh, new Suicide Squad. Twenty. Uh, twenty-one. There's twenty-two. <laughs> you you price this right, you bastard. All right, so let me do a tally here. So uh, Vince got one, two, three, four. You both missed one, and Zach got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Damn. So sorry, Vince. Zach took the game handily. Have your pets spayed or neutered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, this is a this is a short week this week. Uh, where do you guys want to start? Suicide Squad. Okay. Suicide Squad. Um, I mean, the most interesting part about this book, hands down, is the Harley Quinn not being crazy thing. Just as a concept that's clever. I guess. I didn't say it was good. I said it was the best part of the book. That's high praise. Actually, the best part of the book was actually the variant cover this week. <laughs> um, who did that? Let's see. Uh, Libra Mejo. Mm. Nice. I thought the backup was okay. I mean, Chris, Christian Ward is such a good artist. You know, yeah. it looked nice, but I uh, I don't know what's going on with this book, man. It, no. It's this is this you is like it. just corporate mandate, like. Feels like corporate mandate all the way through. You you didn't enjoy Killer Croc and June Moon basking in the afterglow. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of a, of a Sinestro sex scene that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but when I first got to that scene, I actually thought that that was Poison Ivy, and there was gonna be like a like a love triangle thing. Oh, but then I, I I I mean, I quickly realized who it was, but. She has the red hair. Yeah. So my question is, like, is June Moon just, like, ripped in half now, or... 
You gotta talk to your friend. He's he's got a an obsession with superhero sex organs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You and Jeff Johns. <laughs> what can I say? That's a throwback to a few weeks ago, folks. Um, I mean, is there is there any reason to believe this book will get any better? Um, Riley Rosmo. Yeah. He's coming on yeah. the book for a few issues. That that will help. That'll help. I, I know Rob Williams has it in him. Rob Williams is a good writer. I don't know what's going on here. I feel like maybe maybe once we get past this first arc, which is basically like the Suicide Squad movie tie in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. This will be one of those books that like it had to start out being a more conventional version of the suicide squad and then if if it's successful enough down the road rob williams will get his way and he'll write a really weird really off the wall suicide squad that's actually good that's not also hampered by jim lee's whole thing (laughs) like don't don't you guys feel that like even from a storytelling perspective this is somehow being affected by jim lee Oh yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about this uh, this morning when when debating whether I was going to read this issue or not. I was thinking about how before Rebirth began, there were two books that the three of us said, "Oh man, that's a great writer paired with an artist that's really going to hold them down." And we said that about Suicide Squad and about Batman. And both books have been not just a failure of the artist, but also a failure to a certain degree of the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not talking about Mikkel Jenin there. No, no, I, I'm talking about um, getting David finished. Finch. Yeah, getting getting finished left and right. Um, you know, so it's just it's it's interesting to see how. And I wonder how much of that. I, I think with the, with the Tom King stuff, like. That is clearly the way Tom King is writing Batman. Whereas I don't really know how Rob Williams is writing The Suicide Squad because I feel like Jim Lee's influence is so strong on the book. It's hard to tell where they separate. Yes. Um, yeah. And but, I feel like, you know, it might be a while too. We're going to go straight from this um, into the Justice League versus Suicide Squad squad crossover thing which will take two or three issues um maybe more and with like fallout and stuff so i'm afraid it might be a while before we get to see like williams really kind of free to do his own thing yeah i agree with that i um i wonder if there's any bit of I don't even know how to describe this but like there's something to me that's just so not Rob Williams about a line like in the backup where Waller says one day witch bitch not today <laughs> like that's just that's just a terrible bit of dialogue and like I can't imagine the guy that created Mr. Biscuits <laughs> is the guy who wrote that <sighs> you know I just, I, I just don't get it um, 
Well, I, Mr. Biscuit's original name was going to be the Biscuit Bitch, but uh, <laughs> editorial made him change it. So the bollocks, the bollocks biscuit or something. <laughs> um, I uh, I will say this: like this is a book that I don't have as much heartburn reading as I do like Blue Beetle or. Um, uh, Batman Beyond books that I really don't like. Uh-huh. I'm somehow more okay reading this book, and you're, I don't know wait, why. You're more okay reading this book, yes, than reading like Batman Beyond. Well, I think hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just it's so I'm, bad. I'm the same, yeah. It's so bad that like I I can I can laugh this off differently. Yeah. I'll say this, I think, um, like, Blue Beetle, mm-hmm. the the dialogue is just so annoying that I cannot stand to read it. I have a physical reaction to it. And while this book is bad, I don't have a physical reaction to it mm-hmm. that's, like, almost involuntary. <laughs> it's like a gag reflex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is a trash book, right? I mean, we're we're pulping this, and it's like trashy on purpose. It's like it's like um, it's an Ed Hardy shirt. Yeah, thank you. Yes, that's that's I know. Yeah, it's 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 Leto's Joker. You know, it's Jared Leto's Joker. It's twisted. Oh, it's yeah, it's so twisted. It, is it so bad that it's good? No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um should we go to the Superman annual next? Sure. Yeah. Uh this is a really interesting annual. DC hasn't done an annual like this in a while where it's just one long story. It seems like lately the annuals have been little um there've been at least two stories per annual. Is that correct? Over the last I- couple of years? I think so, but this is this is something I wanted to talk about, kind of, because um, back in the day, like, if you go back to the advent of the annual book, okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't we, know exactly... we, we should just say quickly, written by Peter Tomasi and Pat Gleason, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. Yes. So, like, the, the idea of an annual to me is, like, five or six or seven mini stories in one oversized issue of a comic. Mm-hmm. And any of them may or may not have anything to do with current continuity, but usually they're one-off little fun stories. You Very know? similar to how the Batman annual was this week. We're going to see oh, that me. in the Batman one this week, yes. Um, more recently, the New 52 used annuals to tell longer stories if they weren't one entire story, extra long story through the whole thing. They were maybe multiple stories, but you're right. They were longer. You know, it was maybe two or three, I think. Right. Less of the small short vignettes, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking there were also like a lot of books that were like, like beginnings and endings of storylines too. Yes, that's right. Those books, Um, those books took the opportunity to actually tell things that were going to be relevant in future arcs of the regular ongoing series. So, like, yeah. I'm thinking about there was a Batman where 
they reintroduced Mr. Freeze to the New 52. Yep, that was Batman Annual number one, I believe. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. Now, that was the one, that annual, the entire issue, it was over long. It was like 40 pages or something. It was all that one story. Um, but it it seemed like a necessary story because it was going to reintroduce Mr. Freeze to this new continuity. So that's what they had been doing. And I feel like Superman Annual follows that line from the New 52, whereas Batman, the Batman Annual now in Rebirth is very much what annuals used to be. Right. So they're, they're very clearly still doing – they have both in mind. You know, an annual doesn't just mean one thing anymore. Right. Um, but this annual uh, is interesting because, like you said, Vince, it's not – if you didn't read this story – I don't think it would impact your understanding or appreciation of the Superman comic at all. But I think having read it, there's a lot to be said for what it's implying about Superman. And it illuminates parts of the character that I think are really interesting and worth discussing, but it never feels as essential reading as like the... uh, the aforementioned Batman annual number one from the new 52 when Mr. Freeze was reintroduced. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. 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 It was, I don't know. I, this, I thought this issue felt really big until the conclusion. And then it just kind of, you know, it just kind of ends. Um, and not, not like in a bad way, but, I I've, I feel like it will end up being more important later, but right now it's kind of just like, oh, this is a this is a cool Superman Swamp Thing story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and when they do pick up the thread later, I would almost guarantee that they give you like a one page recap that tells you really everything you need to you needed to know from this issue. Yeah, it, it'll be more than just an editor's note. Yeah, I can I can totally see it. Ha- I can see it already. Yeah, um, but what do you guys think of the story as a whole? For the, um, I guess to briefly summarize it, it appears that the Superman that is currently on the Earth, the pre-Flashpoint Superman, is reacting to the Earth's sun in a way that is different than how the Flashpoint Superman was, and it has potentially harmful effects on the Earth, and so Swamp Thing wants him to essentially like have his physiology studied so that he might not react that way anymore. And uh, some fisticuffs ensue. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what did you guys think of the story overall? Zach, why don't you start? I mean, I thought it was, I I didn't think it was necessarily as, as good as like, um, the rest of the issues of the series have been, but it was still, I mean, it was still an enjoyable issue there. I mean, Gleason and and Tomasi have like a really good handle on Superman. The art was really, really good. Um, and, and it kind of, you know, had some like interesting teases and like where the story might be going. Um, like, especially knowing that there's going to be like the, the multiversal arc coming up and, um, yeah, I thought it was I mean, I thought it was pretty good overall, enjoyable. Yeah, it, I 
it was okay. I I uh, I could do with a little less of the um, sort of continuity wank at this point. Like mm-hmm. they're they're spending an awful lot of time across all the Superman books, kind of explaining still how Rebirth Superman is going to work, <laughs> and that this was certainly a more palatable take on that than anything we've been getting in action. Um. But, and it was fun to to have Swamp Thing involved. But you know, i i feel I feel like they're I feel like they're deliberately just not getting to the point with these stories. I feel like they keep teasing that there's something wrong with this Superman, and but they but they won't. It's not, and it's not that they won't give us any answers, but they won't even tell us if this is actually the question that we think they're asking. Does that make sense? Like, like there, the, I'm not, I read this issue and yeah. Okay. It kind of cleaned up a continuity question about Superman. What questions did, did it clean up for you? Well, that, that, that he is not in sync with this world, but now Swamp Thing somehow made it so like essentially what I thought by the end of the issue was they're saying this is the Superman now like yes but my what my point is is that is that even the question that we're really interested in like yeah is that is that really anything that needed to be done right right yeah so they keep doing these little like teases in action and in this but then it's like if it turns out that, you know, Superman is Dr. Manhattan or something, then these questions that we've been getting the answers to in these issues are not the questions that needed to be asked and will ultimately be entirely inconsequential, you know? Now, I'm not saying I think Superman is Dr. Manhattan, but I'm saying, like, if the answer to all of this is something way out of left field that nobody we nobody's really thought of yet, you know? Yeah. The blue then, energy thing is kind of right, <laughs> but then what do I care if like this if this Superman is in sync with this world or not? When it turns out he's not really the real Superman, either in the end for a different reason. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Um, I <laughs> there was a, a moment that first of all I love seeing. Superman and specifically Tomasi and Gleason Superman play around with other characters in the DC universe. I really enjoy that. Uh, I think the Superman for some reason in the new 52 was very ghettoized and you wouldn't see him branching outside of his books all that often. And so I like seeing Superman here and, and doing something with another, with a character, especially a character that isn't as frequently used as perhaps he should be. But when they started getting into all of like you're you're like you know you're different than everyone else on this planet, it, it kind of was a the secret ingredient is love moment for me. Just it just seemed like a really cheesy way of expressing something that if you've been reading the books you already know, which is that he isn't from this earth and things don't. You know, there are certain things that are going to come slower to him because he's not from here. And I think that makes the character actually very charming 
And to undo that seems like an unnecessary. I, I I don't think anybody was like, but is he feeling in sync with the Earth? Like nobody was wondering that question because who gives a shit about that question? And now that it's been addressed, I, I don't know if the story gains that much from it. That said, I thought that this issue did about as good of a job as you could expect any issue in this circumstance to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I think that's the that that's the summary of how the three of us feel, I think. That sounds like. Yeah. Alright, let's let's do the Batman annual next. Um does one of you have the Batman annual in front of you or should I go get it to, to go through the creative teams for the various I, pieces? I can, I've I got I've got them all written down here. Okay. So uh we got a number of stories. Uh, this week in the Batman Annual, one from well, uh, Vince, just run through the uh, the lineup for us. Sure. So there was Good Boy by Tom King and David Finch. There was Silent Night by Scott Snyder, Declan Shalvey, and Ray Fox. Ray Fox was uh, co-writing with Scott Snyder. Mm-hmm. I believe he did the script. While Snyder just has a story credit. There was the Not So Silent Night of the Harley Quinn. By Paul mm. Dini, by Paul Dini and Neil Adams, Harley Quinn, Brian's favorite character. Yep. Um, not played out at all. Um, <laughs> there was Stag by Steve Orlando and Riley Rosmo, and there was the Insecurity di- Divert, yeah, Insecurity Diversion by Scott Brian Wilson and Bilkus Evely on art. Um, and that is one hell of a creative lineup for an annual, I think. Yeah, I mean, part of that is it's a Batman annual, so they can get whoever they want for it. Yeah. But it, but it was a really nice mix of sort of old guard and new guard in there. Great to see Shalvey getting a little bit more to do. Uh, Ray Fox is somebody who was a big part of the Batline a few years ago, but isn't right now. And I wonder if that, if that's an old story or sure. if he was brought back on, you know, for something. Um, let's, let, I guess let's start at the beginning. We can agree this is the best Tom King's ever written Batman, right? <laughs> yes, but I was skeptical uh, early on in this story. Uh, with the, you know, just like the... Yeah, I, I don't know. It was still that, like, bad Tom King Batman it's, dialogue. Oh, it's, and the art. And the oh. art was rough. Yeah, this is the roughest David Finch has been on, on the Tom King Batman. Um, but by the end, boy, did it win me over with the little Ace the Bat Hound story out of nowhere. Yeah, I, um, I feel like this is the, like, comics equivalent of the, there's a stallion no one can tame story, (laughs) you know, from like a Western. Um, but I am such a dog lover. I'm a sucker for all this stuff. And I thought it was a rare moment of King's Batman where Bruce Wayne seems like not a terrible person. (laughs) Where you actually wouldn't mind being in the same room as this Bruce Wayne. Um, Yeah, Zach, what did you think of this story? Uh, I thought it was fine. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was nice. It It was a... Uh, an ace origin story that I I didn't really need, but I like yeah. Animal stories are good. Yeah, 
I feel like it was such a staple of DC's history that just went away for so many years. Yeah. So it's nice to see it back. Can I tell anybody you the wanna... Oh, go ahead, Zach. Oh, I was just going to ask if anybody wanted to read any Alfred lines. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Brian? Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I do remember there being a couple of doozies. Yeah. Uh... Hang on, let me, let me get it. It's right here. Yeah, go get it. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say... Um... The page that finally won me over is the one where, like, Alfred's getting tackled by by Ace or something in the foreground. And in the background, you see Bruce at his bat computer trying to solve these various mysteries. Uh-huh. And, like, each one of them is more, like, purposely more ridiculous than the next. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's like the... Why a donut? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> Just very... Adam Westian yes. actually kind of feeds into our theory that yeah. <laughs> Tom King is writing Adam West Batman as Frank Miller or like <laughs> some weird mix between Frank Miller's Batman and Adam West. Yeah, uh, yeah you're right. I did like that page a lot. Yeah. yeah. You got it, Brian? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. Give me one second. Uh, It's, it's it's like the last couple of pages offers something. Oh. Oh. World's greatest detective indeed. That's the one. <laughs> That's yeah, the one. That's the one. <laughs> uh, fucking Alfred. Um <laughs> All right. Uh after that we got the uh the Declan Shalvey story with Look gorgeous. Of yeah. course it did. Man, that dude is one of the best. Yeah, he he really can draw Batman. He can draw whatever he wants, but he's he's, I feel like he's found a really good mix with Batman here. Yeah. Of um, the classic Batman look, but also bringing something really different to the character. Mm-hmm. I feel like his Batman looks. How can I put this? He looks very comfortable wherever he is. Yeah, very lithe. Yeah. Very natural. Um, and this story, this is going to sound like an insult at first, especially if you know how I feel about the, the movies. This almost reminded me of like a scene from Batman Returns. Sure. The way it looked was, was very Burton-esque to me. And I'm yeah. not the biggest fan of the Tim Burton Batman films, but it really worked here. Yeah, and and we've seen this sort of story before where, like, Batman gets a night off for once, you know? But I thought it was really neat how how they did it where, like, oh, is there something going on? And then, no, it's this just really artsy thing that's happening. And, and, and it's like Batman just takes a pause to, like, take it all in and enjoy it. It's, it's a side of Batman that, especially under Scott Snyder and, and considering this was co-plotted by him, we hadn't seen, you know, like throughout any of his Batman work, I don't think. Yeah. So it was nice. It was good. It was nice. Yeah. That brings us to the, um, the Neil Adams story. (laughs) Um, this was fine. (laughs) It was, it was fine. 
It's so Neil Adams. It's very Neil Adams. It's um, it's Batman, very Neil Adams. Yeah, but it's also Paul Dini. It is Paul Dini. That's the only reason that Harley was tolerable in this book, <laughs> because I feel like Dini has a different type of read on her than anyone else does. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was also interesting because it kind of did you know feed out from the um. Palmiotti Connor book. It's kind of a, a commentary, I feel like, on what she's become under uh-huh. that yeah. book. And it even has like a lot of those characters at the end. Yep. Yep. You're not wrong. I thought it was, I mean, it really was kind of like an interesting, like, meta thing on how Harley Quinn has almost become as big as Batman. Yeah. Yep. And I think, yeah, I think it. I think it did really highlight the differences between um, what Connor and Palmiotti are doing and what Paul Dini always did. Like, she's she's become this like Deadpool esque gross out comedy character, um, and this was much more of a like. This was almost a holiday from that. Like, let's let's take her back. Let's have her joyride with with Bruce for a little bit. And you know, this this is the way the Bruce Harley dynamic used to work. You know, yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen that in a while. And I don't know. I guess we'll probably see it again if if Bruce is going to be kicking around the Suicide Squad. But yeah, I um, is there anything more Neil Adams than a comic ending with the character winking at the camera. I feel like every one of his books ends that way. <laughs> uh, he's got a type. DC just sent me the hardcover of the Rise of the Superman miniseries. Oh, hell yeah, baby. So. Yeah. Um, Alright. That, um, that brings us over to the stag story written by Steve Orlando and illustrated by Riley Rosmo. Now, guys, could it be that we're going to get an Orlando Rosmo bat story each year? I think so. How great is that? I, when I saw, I I knew nothing about this story coming that I didn't know it was coming. Same. I stood up and I thrust it in the air. (laughs) (laughs) When I read this, <coughs> oh, this it's was... so good. This is, I mean, this is the best story in the issue, right? Oh yeah, easily. Can we, can we agree on that? Absolutely. Easily. Yep. Yep. Man, ah. Oh. Can can we have Orlando write the Batman book proper <laughs> from now on? You know what? I kind of prefer this though. I Just love every him, once in a while. I love him being like the holiday from the Tom King batshit insanity. <laughs> That's fair. That's that's fair. I just want Orlando to write all the books. Yeah, but how cool is it though? That it how cool would this team be as a recurring, you know, guest spot in in Batman? I I, I really hope that's what this is. Oh, I will be kind of disappointed if this character just shows up in in you know King's Batman or in or in Detective as just like a part of that book you know yeah 
un- under the the regular team. I I want this to be like a Night of the Monster Men kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it would be great if it was. It would be really cool if this. I mean, this character was like teased in those other books, and it and it kind of led up to another crossover. Yeah. But man, that ending is just brutal. Yes. And uh, last, we have the insecurity diversion by Scott Brian Wilson and Bilquis Evely. Uh, Bilquis Evely is quickly becoming one of the most talked about artists in comics. Oh, she's great. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that she does some great work here. This was not my favorite story of the bunch, but I thought it looked pretty great. Yeah. It was, it was weirdly wordy, and Batman was... Batman felt a little out of character. Yeah, he was a little, uh... Got a little tortury there at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, exactly. was going to say he was he was strangely okay with uh, with terrible <laughs> shit happening to these two characters. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I thought it was uh, it was alright. I'm I'm not super familiar with uh, Wilson the writer. Are you? Mm-mm. No, I'm not. Um. Yeah. I enjoyed that these were all, to a certain degree, Christmas stories. Or, like, winter stories, I guess is a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it when comics touch on the seasons and things like that. For some reason, I always find that to be fun. Um, I, this is a fun little annual. Yeah, the feel of it reminded me, you know, not only of, of Batman Returns, as you already said, but... Uh of the Batman, the animated series episode where it's, it's Christmas time with the Joker. Yep. Yeah. I just, something about Gotham around the holidays just really works. (laughs) I won't disagree with that at all. Yeah. Any other final thoughts on the uh, issue? I, I just think that this is one, you know, I always tend to think that the annuals, like I, I get them for collector purposes, you know, like I can't, I'm anal like that. Um, but they rarely feel consequential to me. Um, I feel like this annual is worth every penny. They, I think they really did a great job with it. It certainly gives you a, like, even though it, this is the annual for the Batman comic that's written by Tom King and illustrated by, you know, Janin and uh, Finch, I felt like this gave you a lot of different sides of Batman. And there's, like, something for every kind of Batman fan in this book. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Oh, excuse me, guys. I am tired. Um... That brings us to our final book of the week. Short week this week. Um, the DC New Talent Showcase number one. Now, uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that if we're going to be critical of this book, and I'm sure we are, <laughs> it appears that everybody here was given an assignment in the DC like workshop to write 
what essentially comes out to a pilot for a series. So every story is the first five to eight pages of a book that doesn't exist. And, and probably never will. And never will. And that gets old really quickly. That that concept alone, uh, for, for their own educational purposes in the uh, talent program, fine. But that concept for this book is... I mean, it it takes the book and it immediately makes it like a five out of ten from the word go. Like it ruins what this book could have been. Zach, what did you think of this book? I uh, I really didn't know what what to think about it. Like how to how to take it in because yeah, like I liked some of the stories. But a lot of the ones that I expected to like, I didn't because they they were just kind of like, so so like I think the best example is the the Kyle Rayner one. That was the one yes. I was the most excited for. Yeah, Michael Morisi was a great writer, writing Kyle Rayner. The first half of that story introduces a villain we will literally never see ever again. Never see again. <laughs> plus, plus it was Beginda on art. Yes. Returning to to Kyle after Omega Men, so I was I was really excited for this one. So yeah, the first half introduces a villain we will probably never see again and doesn't follow up on that at all the second half is kind of just a, a weird interaction between kyle and carol which is like a relationship thing that i still just like don't care for or about <laughs> and then it just kind of ends yeah it's a good it, it it takes place in a weird place within continuity mm-hmm. and uh yeah it really digs into that weird place yeah yeah and then I'm... you on the other end of the spectrum you have like really great stories i think like the or like a start of a really great story like the hot girl one yes uh-huh. but it it's so weird it's like in the in the future and then it like flashes back and then it's like back to the future but Marty. It, it, but it just ends <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is a mess, and it's not really the fault of any creator. No, I don't blame a single. See, you you re- you reviewed this for the site, right, Brian? I did. Yes. I almost. I mean, you wrote you wrote a really good review. Okay. Thanks, pal. You, you really did. But if I would have picked this as a review assignment. I would have probably asked you editors if I could throw it back and pick something else because I think to even – like I don't want to cast judgment on any of these creators for what we've got here. It's just such a flawed concept that that should have ne- should have never been seen by the public, I think. Like this is not for public consumption. This is for working something out behind the scenes. These I are feel. like pitches. They're yeah, they're pitches, but they're pitches that won't happen. You know, they're not even like, it's not even like Amazon pilot season where they shoot a bunch of pilots and then well, you know, pick like three of well, them. I, I well, had... but though, do you think? I mean, I I think like that Kyle Rayner story. The, that's just too I, weird to introduce a character like that and have him not show up again I, later. I'd be surprised. Just he because... won't show up again. 
but but uh, and like every every story has like a you know kind of like teasing can, can i say why i think this yeah because i bet dc editorial themselves had almost nothing to do with these story you know like if there were actual plans for these characters i i feel like there would have been you know they they plan this stuff years in advance and these new talent people i have to think have not been involved in any of those conversations while they were creating these stories there's just uh, to me there there's like i can just see the assignment laid out in front of them for this it's like you know write the first 5 pages or whatever of your proposed series and some of those people took it very, very literally, you know, Michael Morisi, again, I like his writing, I think that what he wrote is fine, but that is, that is so clearly the beginning of a story we're never going to see, whereas, like, I think that both the Chris Sabella Dead Man book and the Hot Girl book each sort of work as their own little stories, you know, um, but I had floated in my review that this would have gone over so much better if DC had put these online for free. And said like, "Hey, here is the um, here is the result of this first class of writers coming through our workshop, because the cover price of this was seven ninety nine. Yeah, this is eight dollars for stories that go nowhere. It's uh, I think it's unconscionable to spend that to charge that much money for these stories. It's uh, it's really bad. Um." You know, and then th- there's a lot of weird choices that are made that, again, like, I I completely understand in a vacuum. For instance, that first Wonder Woman story has Wally West as the Flash in it, uh-huh. but it seemingly takes place once she's the goddess of war. Yeah. And, like, it just see- it, it felt to me a little bit like maybe that story was written... By somebody who doesn't follow DC Comics all that closely. And like she knew, you know, at one point the Flash was Wally West. And so that's the way it is. Which again, like in this writer's workshop, they're not attracting super fans. They're trying to bring people from different lines of writing into the DC style. So again, even to criticize a writer for that is, is a little bit unfair. Because we don't know their background or what they were, and I, I honestly don't know. I'm sure all these writers signed a waiver when they got there that said, like you know, DC has the right to use any of this. But I wonder how they feel about these pitches created in private, or at least presumably created in private, becoming public. Yeah, I wonder if you follow them on Twitter. Like I follow about half of these people on Twitter, and. Um... You know, they promoted the heck out of this book being released. But I'm sure that's for exposure's sake, you know? Right, yeah. I wonder if any of them are like, well, we realize, you know, I wonder if any of them wish they could say, I, I would love to to talk to Maurice in, like, confidence and yeah, be like. Yeah, off the record sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and be like, hey, you know, like you and Begenda are a great team and we totally see what you were going for here. How did you feel about like this assignment or how did it, like how does DC approach this? You know? Right. 
because they because they know that this isn't like the optimal way to deliver storytelling. You know, right? They they know that this is a pitch for themselves as creators, and you know they're not gonna they're not gonna go. Wow, DC should have never released this. You know, because it's got their work in it. So right. I'm sure they're proud of it, and they should be. But it's a it's a tough situation to be put in, really. It's also I'm sure that they know where the stories would have gone. So to them, you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg here. But for us, it's all we'll ever see. Yeah. It is a really tough, really weird situation to be in. I also wonder if the art was done considerably after the writing was. I wonder if these were just written pitches that DC then gave to artists to illustrate. Yeah, I I can see that. Like it, it was, they weren't even collaborating with the person in in real time, you know. Now, to Zach's point about the characters in the in the Dead Beacon story, I I don't want to say never. Like I don't I don't I don't want to say that like somebody couldn't be like, hey, you know, Maurice did a nice little ten page story uh, uh, with the Lantern characters. Why don't we why don't we bring him in and have him write a lantern book, you know? And then he incorporates some of his ideas into that. That could certainly happen down the road. All I'm saying is I'd almost guarantee that there's no plans for any of this stuff. Like right? I mean, doesn't that make I the wanna, most sense? I want to bring up one story. Okay. And I'm sure this is me just like way over analyzing things, like looking <laughs> into it way too much. But that Superman story which took place which, clearly in the Rebirth era. Which seemed to have three different Jokers in it. Ah. Yes, you're right. And that was, was that uh, there was for, like, the Juan Ferreira art one? Yeah, yes. there was like the weird alien Joker at the beginning. There was the um, endgame Joker in the middle. And then there was like the crazy Joker at the end. Yeah, that's interesting. Although that first Joker, though, like, that's not one of the three that we're going to be following. No, you know. Right. Well, and I don't even know if that is, like, a Joker, but he has the smile. Right. And, you know, like. I just thought that was interesting. That is, that is interesting. Yeah, that's a nice observation, Zach. Huh. This is a weird book. I think we can all agree on that. It is. And it's uh, very weird. The, the it... implications of like what it is or isn't and Yeah, I don't know. It sets a weird precedent. It does. Yeah, I'm hoping for the next cuz you know they just had a new round of writers announced like a month or two ago for for another one of these classes. I I'm hoping next time around they come up with something some different way to showcase this. Yeah. Um, you know, even if, even if they are eight to 10 page stories, but they're, they tell them, okay, these have to be self-contained, you know? Yeah. I I mean, I'd love to see some of these creators doing short little annual style stories that are self-contained, you know? And, and I'm also not saying that like, just because you leave plot threads hanging, it makes for a bad story, but these are clearly like 
these are clearly like one half of issue one in like a six issue arc, you know? Yes. This is not even, it's not nuggets of a story that could happen later. It's, it's a story that's been cut into, you know, the tip was cut off and fed to you. Yeah. Just the tip. <laughs> um, sorry. It's okay. Uh, uh, but I, I kind of want to be, I, I want to get on a positive track for like five seconds here. Okay. Were there any surprises in here as far as writing or storytelling or something you thought was funny or like art that particularly stood out to you? I mean, on the art side, it was the the stories that stood out to me were all by artists that I already knew and admired. Mm-hmm. You got Barnaby Begende, you got Sonny Liu, you got um, Juan Ferreira. You know, there's just... These are artists I really care for, so it wasn't. It didn't surprise me that they were doing great work. Yeah. Zach, were there any that stood out to you aside from that? Um, I mean, yeah, nothing. I wasn't really like introduced to anyone. I guess that I wasn't already familiar with that I that I liked. I mean, like I mentioned, I really liked the um, Hot Girl story, which I'm forgetting who who wrote that. Yeah, that was uh, Erica Schultz. Okay, I guess I wasn't, I'm not familiar with her. Neither am I, and that was my favorite story in the book by far. Yeah. Yeah, Um, me too. I thought Minkyu Jung, or Minkyu Young, did a great job on uh, the Amazonian job, which was the Wonder Woman, Catwoman. Yes, that visually was very nice. I thought she would be like... Like, I'm surprised she's not drawing fill-ins for DC already. Because she looks like she fits like a glove. I thought the, um, I think it was the first Wonder Woman story with, uh, Carrie Randolph on art, I think. Yes, yeah. Is yeah. that right? Carrie Randolph, however mm-hmm. you pronounce the name. I, I, I thought that was a very, um... I really like that style for for a Wonder Woman book, or even for like a Justice League book. I think it was very dynamic and cartoony, and I don't know. I really liked it. That was kind of a surprise. What about you, Vince? Anything? Um. Well, I already mentioned the the Amazonian job. Um, I thought it was surprising that uh, Emmanuel Lupacino and um, Carrie Randolph were in this book, considering I feel like they're well established. But Lupacino was doing was writing, correct? No, she did the art on. She did the art on digging up the de- digging up demons. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Who was there? Was somebody? Oh, Joel Jones wrote a story in this. That's what I'm thinking of. Right. Like an established yeah. artist doing a writing a story. Right. Well, like I mean, like Sonny Lou did the Hawk Girl, and he, you know, had been on Doctor Fate. There, there are a lot of kind of like weird things like that, and then well, like some writers who aren't even like they're not new talent. They've been in the industry forever. They're just 
new to DC. Right. Well, I, that's why I was wondering if the stories were drawn wildly after the they were written. Whereas, like, all right, Lupacino, you're between months on something. Do this ten page story. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I thought that might be the case. Right. I guess that's true because this was a writers that the writers are the new talent, right? The work from the right. workshop. It, it's not artists. Yeah. I guess I, I didn't guess, really yeah. think about that. Uh, they, yeah. they did have an art they did have a, a artist talent thing though. And they mentioned it in the in the they did. And they mentioned it in the beginning of the book that a couple other people are from that. Okay. okay. I gotta apologize to, to Ming Yu Jung by the way. Oh that's, that's right a, because Klaus Jansen. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I think all of us are saying the same thing, which is that the book was so incredibly flawed conceptually that even if it was, even if all the stories were like surefire winners, it would still be a tough read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that just about does it for this installment of the DC3 cast. Um, We'll be back next week to talk about this week's comics. And uh, until then, if you want to talk Pokemon, you should tweet at Vince and Zach. If you want to talk about the Mets re-signing UNS Cespedes, I'm always available to talk about that. Pronounce Uh, that again. UNS Cespedes. Nice. Yeah. So uh, there's a, a prominent New York radio sportscaster who calls him Yoanus, but it, it's Yoanus. Um, More like Yoanus. Exactly. Uh, anyway, I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. And I'm at SirFox89. And we will see you guys in one short week. And uh, do, we, do we want to talk about maybe. The last show of the year, maybe doing a best of show, best of DC Comics. Sure, why not? Yeah, we'll figure something out. All right, folks, enjoy your comic books, and we'll be back next week. I